Sexual intimacy is an important part of any healthy relationship, and understandably, not being able to perform can be a sensitive topic for some men and affect relationships. However, it's important to remember that having trouble getting or keeping an erection doesn't mean that you're not desirable or that you'll never have good sex again. Welcome to Sex Care is Self-Care, a conversation on women's sexual health brought to you by the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health. I'm your host, Patty Brisbane. Today's conversation with Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg and Dr. Rachel Rubin will educate and empower to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and provide partners with a way to enhance satisfaction in their relationship. Let's meet these incredible ladies. Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg, could you please introduce yourself and let our listeners know what exactly do you do? Sure. Well, I am a clinical psychologist by training, but I have a division of behavioral medicine, which is the psychological aspects of medical conditions in an OBGYN department. Um, and so I work mainly with women's health issues uh, regarding sexual health, menopause, uh, postpartum depression, anything related to women's health. However, I was also trained in fellowship to address male sexual dysfunction, and I actually have a secondary appointment in urology as well. And so I have to say that uh, on a daily basis, I see the majority of women or couples, but I do get referrals from men and have to know how motivated they are to actually come see me when they're, you know, they're I'm going to an OBGYN practice. And sometimes they even came and had to wait in an OBGYN waiting room. That's how motivated men are to address their sexual concerns, that they would take that leap and have to kind of jump an extra barrier. That's awesome. Um, Dr. Rachel Rubin, can you tell our listeners who you are and what you do on a daily basis? Yes, and I'm so grateful to be here with my friend, Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg, because I can't do my job without her. In fact, I just sent her a male patient with this exact problem. I'm a urologist. I am a penis doctor. You have to be a little funny when you're a lady who becomes a penis doctor. And I did a fellowship in sexual medicine. I take care of all genders in my training, actually one of the only fellowships in the country that acknowledges sexual health for all. And so I take care of all genders and I do four things. I deal with issues of arousal, orgasm, desire, and pain. And arousal can be erectile function. And so we see a lot of men with erectile dysfunction. And we, we take care of people in what's called a biopsychosocial way. And so we spend a lot of time getting to know our patients and figuring out what are their goals? What do they care about? What's happening? And we make the biology make sense. And then we use that biopsychosocial approach to maximize their quality of life because it really matters what they care about. What do they want. And then my job is to try to help the educate them and get it to make sense. And what tools do we have in our toolbox to help them? It's amazing. I really, before we even get started, I just want to say a big thank you to both of you for joining us here today, because I think this is a great platform for people to learn more about their bodies and about themselves. So Thank you. Um, Dr. Kingsburg, I'm going to start with you. Could you speak on exactly what is erectile dysfunction and who's at risk for experiencing this? Well, I'll start with the last part, which is who's at risk. Any person who has a penis is at risk for ED, and that could be a trans male as well. 
but it is uh, any person who has a penis is at risk to develop erectile dysfunction. Now, erectile dysfunction as a term, um, I wanted to educate the, the listeners that until, I don't know, actually it was probably in the late uh, 80s or 90s when, 90s, when uh, Viagra became sort of a popular term, all of a sudden it, it became clear that impotence, which was the old term, was very pejorative. And so that changed to erectile dysfunction. And so it is the inability to attain or maintain uh, an erection sufficient, and in clinical trial data, it's sufficient for a satisfactory uh, sexual event, which in the sort of looking at the trials for treating ED was sufficient to have penetrative sex. So that's a clinical term, but really it is for any male, their inability to attain or maintain an erection that feels uh, satisfactory for them. Okay, here's my next part of that question. You kind of, uh, people have probably associated this with old age. Can this happen at any age? It absolutely can happen at any age because you know, one of the reasons that I really wanted this to be uh, titled The Penis is Not a Machine is because it really, it, while older men will be at higher risk for the biology part uh, and the vascular function that Dr. Rubin will talk about, anybody is, is prone to the performance anxiety that is, can I, here's the, the performance anxiety that goes on in somebody who has a penis's head, can I, will I, what if I can't gain or keep an erection? And as soon as you start to worry about that, you better believe it's going to be hard, no pun intended, to gain or keep an erection. Just like for women, so performance anxiety for men tends to be about gaining, or males tends to be about gaining and keeping erection. For females, it tends to be about can I reach orgasm? And as soon as women start to worry, what if, and will I, or am I taking too long, that distraction sort of kind of shuts that door. So performance anxiety is true for all of us and at any age, any age. Okay. Um, Dr. Rubin, how exactly is erectile dysfunction diagnosed? Yeah. Um, and, and to Cheryl's point, right, at any age, the data shows, right, that it's actually 20% of 20-year-olds 30% of 30-year-olds, 40% of 40-year-olds, 50% of 50-year-olds, it goes by 60% of 60-year-olds, 70% of 70-year-olds have erectile dysfunction. So I had a 20-year-old in my office just yesterday, and I explained this, you're not alone, dude, it's 20% of people, and I am here to tell you how your penis works, why it's not working, and what we can do to make it work better, but you're not alone, right? Viagra and Cialis are not necessarily only drugs for old people, all they are are muscle relaxers that work to increase the blood flow to your penis. And so we do in terms of how to diagnose people is it's really a lot of the history, right? Is do you have trouble getting and maintaining an erection? You know, are you bothered by it? Right. What is the situation surrounding it? And we explain, right. Are you having morning erections? Do you have problems with your erections by yourself or is it just with a partner? And so we really get to know our patients and asking questions about their history um, in order to really see, is this 
this erectile dysfunction? Is it erectile dissatisfaction? Is it normal sort of variance? And, and the more we talk to people, the more we get a sense of what are they bothered by? What is quote unquote normal? What is maybe they're watching too much pornography and they don't really necessarily, they kind of see the WWF style erection and they're a little concerned about what their erection is like. And so we do a lot of just listening, but also educating them about, you know, sort of what is going on. But the diagnosis is really, can they get or maintain and are they bothered by it? Um, one helpful tool that I use is something called the erection hardness score in my office. It's an awesome thing everyone can do at home. We talk about erections in numbers and it's a scale that was developed around the time Viagra came out about how do we, um, how do we quantify erections? How do we objectively talk about erections? Because if, if this 20 year old says his penis isn't working and his 80 year old grandfather says his penis isn't working, is it the same penis? Is it the same problem? And so it's a scale one, two, three, four. A one is no erection, totally flaccid. A two is it gets a little harder and larger, but it's not penetrating anything. A three is a wobbly penis, but it's hard enough to penetrate. And a four is like a cucumber. It's not bending, it's not buckling, and it's going, it's able to penetrate, right? That four is that, you know, erection everyone aims to get. And so by using one, two, three, four, I get patients able to say, Dr. Rubin, you know, I wake up in the morning with a two and when I masturbate, you know, I can get to a three and a half, but I haven't had a four in years, right? Or a, a young kid says, Dr. Rubin, I wake up with a four, I get a four with masturbation. And as soon as I'm in a room with another person, Person, boom, it's a one. There's just no chance. And that tells me a story. And they can tell a story with numbers, which is so much easier to tell than a story about penises. And so that's what I use a lot to diagnose and to talk about erectile dysfunction. I'm sure it makes um, it makes the patient feel a lot more, uh, they're more comfortable with those numbers, that scale, uh, instead of saying, going into a full description. Correct? Absolutely. It works quite well. I like it. Um, Dr. Kingsburg, is it true that men can experience ED during partnered sex, but not so much during masturbation? And why do you think this is? Well, Dr. Rubin just described that, right, with the uh, with the young man who wakes up with the with the four and can have a four with masturbation, and then has a one with partner. So, absolutely, and in fact. It is one of the ways we assess in that biopsychosocial model whether or not the erectile dysfunction is more biologic or maybe psychological or anxiety-driven. Because if, <clears throat> if he can have a rock-hard erection all by himself but can't with a partner, it isn't going to be blood flow. That's going to be an anxiety issue, at which point it allows us to kind of guide and, you know, men can see it for themselves when you ask them that question and they're like, yeah, I get it, which goes back to the penis is not a machine. It is connected to the heart. It's connected to the brain. And it has uh, so much to do with how somebody's thinking, right? You, you need desire, for first of all, in order to have some arousal. And so without it, you know, if you're not attracted to your partner or if you're embarrassed or you're frightened, you know, you, you can't have a good erection if all of those distractions are there. There you go. Uh, Dr. Rubin, I'm sure that there is a lot of shame that's involved in erectile dysfunction. What actions can the partner take to support during this time? 
Yeah. So I think the key is communication and education and understanding that actually I do a lot of what I call biologicalizing people. I love to give people the biology and the education so that they can talk about their erections. Like they talk about high blood pressure and diabetes, because that's what it is. It's a manifestation of your biological functioning when things work and when things don't work. So to Dr. Kingsburg's point, right, that, uh, that's that brain, that anxiety that makes you get erectile dysfunction. It's not, I've moved away from thinking it's, oh, psychogenic ED. It's all in your head, I think of it as adrenaline mediated erectile dysfunction, that you've got a tiger chasing you and no one wants an erection when a tiger is chasing you. It is evolutionarily dangerous because you will get eaten by a tiger. And so this idea of if your brain is there going crazy of, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Will they like me? Right. That's adrenaline, which contracts muscles and your penis is just a muscle. And that makes you lose blood flow. And so I biologicalize people and I teach their partners about it too, because, you know, it's not that your partner's not attracted to you. It's that your partner is 65 with high cholesterol, diabetes, hypertension, and that could contracts, you know, that makes the arteries not so open to the blood flow. And so there is a, a, a more difficult time having an erection. And so it hurts less as a partner of, it is not about you. It's about the biology. Now there are things we can do to boost dopamine, to boost relaxation of muscles, to get more blood flowing. And it can be in that psychosocial uh, uh, um, toolbox as well. Does that make sense? Like, like that you need to understand the biology and then the partner can really get involved. In fact, it's very important for the partner to get involved to say, honey, I just heard on a podcast that that if you have high blood pressure and diabetes, that that can affect your erections. You should go to the doctor because I'm worried you could have a heart attack one day. And there is a much higher risk of heart disease and heart attacks of people who have erectile dysfunction. Very interesting. I hope our listeners really take that information and use that. I'm going to ask both of you this particular question question. What might couples do to continue to give pleasure when there is a sexual dysfunction? Dr. Kingsburg, let, let's start with you. Well, Patty, you know, I've talked about this so many times with regard to women who have sexual concerns that, for example, as women age and penetration is not nearly as comfortable, sometimes it's not even possible. You know, for most women, penetration is not the most reliable way that they're going to achieve an orgasm. So for a couple to understand that, you know, intercourse may not be the main event, instead of perceiving that as sort of we have to settle for other ways to be sexual, it is a game changer in a positive direction because now they have to communicate and they can talk about different ways to please each other. And, you know, having a working erection for penetration is just not going to necessarily be the be all end all. And many women are like, well, thank God, because now we can focus on things that actually work to help me, you know, reach orgasm instead of just plain old, plain old intercourse. So it actually is very helpful. And to Dr. Rubin's point about the partner and and reassurance, there are many women, particularly in aging couples, who will say, you know, my husband used to get an instant erection at the mere sight of me, and now he doesn't. Does that mean that I'm less attractive? And it is so reassuring from the biologizing of it, that this is nothing about her or him or their attractiveness. It is all about his blood flow. And it's very reassuring. And their whole body image changes 
for the positive, and that enhances communication and better sex. There you go. Uh, Dr. Rubin, can you add anything to this? I mean, I think it's it's a really important point of it's a toolbox, right? And 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 we use different things in our toolbox to have pleasure and fun. And we have to remember it for most people, sex is about fun, right? There's a limited window where it's about reproduction. It's about fun. And if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right, right? You need to reassess and say, wait a minute, this is stressful. We need to figure out what is fun. And I do a lot of educating. I work at the veterans hospital once a week and I work with a lot of men with erectile dysfunction. And and I tell you, we spend so much time talking about the fact that you don't need an erection to have an orgasm. They're separate physiologies and that you should still be able to stimulate to orgasm. And maybe a device might be the right thing for you, right? We know clitorises love vibration. It turns out penises do too. It's just that many haven't tried it or experimented with it. And now in 2023, there is so many high-end, wonderful, luxurious devices for men, for women, for couples to use together. And it's like you have a wheelchair or eyeglasses. A sex device is no different, right? It can give you enhanced pleasure and joy. And think of it like toys, right? Like kids have toys, adults can have toys too. And so we just do a lot of educating about other ways to have pleasure while we may also be working on how to improve the erections, because we also have a lot of tools in our toolbox of how to make erections work better. I love that answer. And I think communicating and taking the shame out of it is the most important thing that a couple can do for each other and for themselves. Um, Dr. Kingsburg, uh, what is psychogenic erectile dysfunction and is it treated differently? Well, you know, I, the term is what Dr. Rubin had referred to earlier that when we think about the biopsychosocial model of sexual dysfunction, in this case, erectile dysfunction, psychogenic would be the term that reflects whatever might be going on in the brain or the heart that is impairing wanted erectile function. And so it could be anxiety. It could be the, you know, the, uh, the adrenaline that is, as, as, uh, Dr. Rubin was saying, you know, doesn't really work well for survival of the species if we get an erection in the middle of you know trying to save our lives. So um, that is the psychological part. It is a little pejorative again to say psychogenic because that makes people feel it's all in your head, and we know that it isn't all in your head. There, it, it is a combined problem. And what we try to do when we look at the psychological aspects is is work on those things. Those are, that's the part that I can work on to modify either the individual's issues or the couple's issues. And then Dr. Rubin gets to take care of the biology part. Although I have to say half the time, by the time they get to me, she's educated them so well that oftentimes it makes my job a whole lot easier. I, I love this that, you know, especially I think that especially this podcast is saying that, you know what, it's just not one person, it's a team that comes together uh, to help you through each individual problem that you may be having. I wanna go back to uh, our last question, and that is, we were talking earlier about bringing bedroom accessories. So is this a conversation that you think that the couple should have with each other so they don't feel bringing a bedroom toy in is exactly a replacement or I'm going to bring something that actually works. But 
to be able to say, you know what, I want to stimulate you. I want you to be happy. I want to be happy. Um, talk to me about that. I mean, is it a conversation or do you just introduce it? I'll jump in. I, well, you know, I do this all day long because so many times it doesn't matter which partner introduces it. It is, it is to say this is, to Dr. Rubin's point, sex is supposed to be fun. And we are trying to find ways that will enhance our pleasure and our excitement. And this is not a replacement. And this is not a settling. This is adding to. Um, for some people, it, it's necessary. We know that you know way more than fifty percent of women own a vibrator, and many, many women require vibration in order to achieve orgasm. And it is so reassuring to the partner that it's not because of their lack of prowess or they're not a good lover. It is because of the physiology there. And so it works in both directions. This is not about blaming or less than. This is about making sex fun and satisfying and using these as tools, not just ways. There you go. Like that. Um, Dr. Rubin, I have one last question. And I'm going to direct this to you. So before we get started, we were in the in our studio here today, we were talking about how COVID was back on the rise again. And one of uh, our gentlemen that works in here uh, had stated, hey, I, I heard ED is associated with COVID. Can you ask that question? So Dr. Rubin, I'm going to ask you, is it associated yeah, we've seen some preliminary data that's come out around the pandemic about the idea that we're seeing a lot of clotting of small vessels, right? This is why some of the brain fog, maybe some of the the blood clots that people get in their lungs. Well, the, the penis has arteries and they are teeny tiny arteries. The arteries in the penis are one millimeter, right? One millimeter. And so it doesn't take much to clot those arteries. And so COVID, if it increases the chances of blood clots, it can potentially increase the risk of erectile dysfunction. And we have seen some preliminary data on the changes of the penile tissue with COVID-19. A colleague of mine in Miami has published some data and they've been able to capture some of this. And so we really, we did a big marketing campaign to try to convince people to get vaccinated by using erectile dysfunction as a motivator. Um, I don't know if it works so well, but it did go viral for a few minutes. Um, and so again, a healthy heart is a healthy penis, right? Because you really need three things for a, your penis is a muscle and you need three things to make it healthy, healthy arteries, healthy nerves, and healthy muscles. Your heart is also a muscle and you need healthy nerves, healthy, mus healthy muscles, and healthy arteries in order for your heart to work. And so we find what is good for your heart is very good for your penis. You got to eat right. You got to exercise. You got to not smoke. You have to, you know, uh, get your cholesterol under control. You have to sleep. We're learning that sleep is so important for good erections. Testosterone is important for muscle health. And so if you have other medical problems, they may be affecting your sexual function and that goes for all genders. And so what I do is help to get your medical history and get it to make sense in the bedroom and then understand what are the underlying things that we can do to help it to maximize your quality of life. Because I get a lot of guys to quit smoking by saying it's really bad for your penis more so than, ooh, this might cause lung cancer. And so I use it as a motivator for people to just live healthier lives. And it is such a joy to get to do that. 
There you go. Look at some of the things that really motivate people. When they find out their penis is not going to work, hey, they put the cigarettes down. I like it. I think it's great. Um, But right now, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg and Dr. Rachel Rubin, for a great conversation. And if you like what you heard today, please rate and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health and our focus areas, visit thepattybrisbanefoundation.org. Remember, sex care is self-care and sexual health matters. 